Welcome to Can I Speak to Your Product Manager, the nitty gritty with your favorite PMs. I'm Kyle Kolich, Vice President of Zora. And I'm Lucas Weber, Director of Product Management at Zora. On today's episode, we have Rushali Pauniker, Chief Product Officer at Carta. And we're going to start off the show by getting to know Vrushali a little bit through a rapid fire game of ship it or skip it. What do you want to do? Let's do it. No. No. Maybe. Yes. All right, Vrushali, you ready? I am ready. Yeah, so this 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 game kind of gets you prepped up. Learn a little bit about how your your decision making skills are. Don't overthink it, but okay. it's just something we can kind of just get to see a little bit of how you think. So one would give you an idea. You either say, you know, that's a great idea. We should. I would ship it. I would go behind that. I would get my engineers working on it, or skip it. I think it's something I probably would would take a pause on. So, the first one is the humanoid robot Optimus Generation Two. I don't know if you saw it. The release that came out from Tesla. It's a robotic humanoid that walks around, looks like a human being, looks like almost like a first gen Terminator. Would you ship it or would you skip it? I don't know what its purpose is, but it sounds a little freaky, so I would skip it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looked a little freaky when they were walking it around. You know, it was a little bit, I don't know what to think of it. But it As cool. a PM, I would say, what problem is that solving other yeah. than scaring young children? But Yeah, it was. It had a very cool factor on it, but I was I was a little nervous of what, what it could do. But all right, so that's that's a that's a skip. All right, so the second one. The Samba Robotic Toothbrush. There's a theme going on, I think, on these today. Now, it's, oh. a, it's not your normal toothbrush where, you know, you have a you know, the stick and the, the brushes. It's a, it's a, it almost looks like a retainer. And you mm. fit the retainer into your mouth, and it has, like, a Brussels all around it. You just plug it in, and it will, I guess, clean your teeth from all directions, and then that's it. It's just a, a very in, in, invasive robotic toothbrush. <laughs> I kind of love it. I would, yeah. I would ship that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. I think all dentists. I feel like it would eat. increase the quality of toothbrushing. It, it does. I always get the you're you're missing a bunch of spots when you brush. Yeah. Uh, from, my, from my dentist. Yeah. Also a cousin. They do tell me that this might be a good thing to have. You just yeah. Put it in your mouth and ready to go. And most importantly, you could do a liability shift because now you're not doing any of the brushing yourself. So if it it's misses any spots, spot. yeah. that's right. That's right. We'll yeah. see you in court, Samba. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Love it. Now, the third one, now we're getting, you know, the holiday season. So a lot of cooking, you know, a lot of big meals for family. Yeah. And I saw this. It was an automatic pan steer. So you take this device. You think of like you're making like, you know, like risotto or a stew or whatever that requires constant stirring. You plop it in there and it will it will stir your pot for hours at a time. Is that something you would ship it or that's a skip it? I'm a ship it on that like yeah. hands free cooking. There's You're always like multitasking while you're cooking for the holidays, like making seven dishes at once. The. Yeah, the fewer hands you need to do things, the better. I I, I agree with you. I was actually debating and buying it for the holiday season, season because yeah, you know, you, you, you especially if you make like risotto where you have to constantly pour the broth in with the rice. And you got to keep doing it, and you don't so it doesn't stick. Sound like a good thing to have, but the, it does say it it can handle the heat. But the worry is that it would just all of a sudden melt into your dish, and then it's ruined. But 
Yeah, I guess it depends on yeah what what's the, what material. I don't want like plastic in my. Like, I, I I don't know. I have to look at my holiday stew. So it's asbestos blades. You know, it can't be that, but something that doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. require. <laughs> it's made out of chocolate. So right, yeah, <laughs> got it. Only use for one everything. One, one time, and it just melts into your dish, and then you're done. So, yeah, it, it right. like secretes uh, holiday spices into everything that you exactly cook. flavor crystals. Yeah. in a stirrer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love it. Go. I love it. All yes. right. Or let's go back to Optimus Gen Two can do both of these things and take care of your children. Right. Right. But there's a different price. Anything point. that can take care of my children, ship it. <laughs> there if you the go. robot right? takes care of my children, I don't care what else he does. Or, or she does. I, ro- ro- robots have gender. It does. Ship it. So Anyway, future is bright, folks. Future is bright. Future is bright. Very good. Rushali, we're going to switch to our next section, PM Power Moves. Powering up. Power Moves. So this is where we get to the nitty gritty of the day-to-day stuff and just kind of what's happening in the world of PMs, particularly what's top of mind for you. So maybe tell us about your role and what Carta does. So I lead the product design, product and design and product marketing teams at Carta and the chief product officer. Carta, we do a lot of things, but we're on a broad level building infrastructure, financial infrastructure for the private markets. We are probably best known for equity management for private companies, both corporations and LLCs. And then we have a venture capital and private equity business where we do fund administration and a slew of lots of other products, including liquidity solutions. We have a secondaries product. We've built like an auctions product. We do a lot of things, but broadly infrastructure for the private markets. Understood. So stock market, but again, private market specifically, and you're kind of the software that enables a slew, it looks like, of functions there. Okay, so I believe you've got a story for us here around your role and and time at at Carta, where you had a product that was started, but somehow wasn't quite getting the traction it needed. Can you maybe set the stage for us? Yeah, as I mentioned, um, Carta's second biggest product is fund administration. So we do equity administration, cap table management for private companies, both C-Corps and LLCs. And then on the investment side, we have a product and service called Fund Admin, by which venture funds and private equity funds are outsourcing their back office and fund administration to Carta. So we manage their accounting, their reporting, the managing of their investors, so on and so forth. We originally launched the product slash service in 2018. And we did that by hiring a team of fund accountants. So we were just like any other fund admin shop. And so we went and found the best fund accountants we could. We hired them to Carta and we launched the business in 2018. Hmm. I started getting involved probably nine months into the business, mid-2019. We got some initial traction, but we weren't figuring out how to scale this business and how to continue that initial traction that we we had found. That's when I got involved and, and that was like the beginning, kind of the beginning and the turning point of my story at Carta. So it sounds like the problem was identified. The opportunity, I'm assuming, was there, which is why the the project got started. But now, for some reason, we're just not seeing that project pick up as was 
expected. And you're now coming in nine months into this project, obviously with all these things going on. When you were getting into it, what, what did you think maybe kind of initially what were the things that maybe were preventing the, the, the product from taking off and the service from taking off? I had sort of watched the product get launched from the sidelines. I was in the same business unit working on a on a different product that also was not finding product market fit. But this one, there was definitely, there was more signal. There were, we definitely had a larger book of business. The, the biggest problem was we hadn't figured out like what we were going to do to scale our offering. So it was more of an internal problem than an external one. And like how consumed we were with the internal problem actually deterred us from focusing on growth and all the external progress in in the business. So the original hypothesis was like, listen, it's just we don't have enough. We haven't staffed this team correctly. And for eight weeks, we need to just surge and create some momentum and velocity for this like fund admin product. So we basically doubled the team size. So the product that I was working on and the engineers that came with, we basically all started working on fund admin. And and the existing team had like three areas they wanted to focus, like investments, data, and like customer experience. I, I just ran with the current hypotheses of, of the existing team. And we we sort of put together like a battle plan of like the three pod teams and what things they were going to do. We had put together many OKRs for that this like eight week sprint. I helped organize this like we called it the surge. I helped organize the surge, the surge. but we we just went at it. But very quickly, the the new people who had joined the team, including myself, we we realized like in order to actually solve the problems that we were assigned to, we had to go like learn what fund administration was about. And it Mm. became from the outside, I had a very simplistic view on like what this product was and what we were trying to do and what happened in the next week was like going down a rabbit hole and the further and further I went, the more I realized I know so little and how how wrong my initial assumptions were about this business. I'm based in San Francisco. I ended up and our accounting team is based in at the time was based in Hamilton, New Jersey and Seattle, Washington. So I flew to Hamilton to to like shadow our fund admins and shadow our fund admin leadership. I just like followed them to every meeting they went to. I was like looking at them entering debits and credits and we we were using an external accounting system called Zero, and so I just mm-hmm. yeah, I just like started to like, I, and I also started reading accounting books. I I had to teach myself. I had, I had taken some accounting classes in college, but it had been a while, so I I started teaching myself accounting again. And I am I'm someone who just like wants to understand things deeply. If I'm going to build product, one of the things I realized immediately was that we we didn't even have the right foundation. And that's something like once I started talking to fund admins, they were like, like, we have nothing. <laughs> we, we are basically starting from scratch. I'm like, oh, goodness, this is like a oh, much wow. deeper and wider problem than I initially thought. So I started reading about the history of accounting. There, there was this wonderful book called Double Entry, and it goes into like the father of modern accounting, this guy named Luca Pacchioli, who is now like one of my personal heroes. He, mm-hmm. he has changed the world. And I am I am one of his like disciples now. I, I, I think we can change the world through accounting. We can continue to change the world through accounting. But yeah, 
Pacioli's original design of the three books, the three accounting ledgers, one to track what has happened, the events log, one to track like the debits and credits, and then one to track like the balances, right? Essentially like a trial balance book. And that became the design of of the event-based accounting platform that we ended up building. At the end of that eight-week surge, I flew back from my travels and <laughs> we had this meeting with the exec team to report on the results of the surge. And I had, it was embarrassing for me because I had like nothing to show for <laughs> the eight weeks and the, you know, 2X team that we, we had put on this project. But I'm like, fear not because I have learned so much. And if you are willing to trust me, I think I know how we're going to solve this problem. And I like brought in my event-based accounting vision with my like little double entry accounting book. And I told them the story of Luca Pacchioli and like how we should be designed the future of our fundament platform based on his original designs. What I didn't know at the time was our CEO, Henry, was was skeptical that this was the, the, the thing to be doing. But he gave gave us a thumbs up. He was like, be, be thoughtful about investment. Let's like put a small team on it and see if we can actually make some progress on this. And if you can, we can, of course, like increase the investment. What I heard was the thumbs up. Like, I didn't hear all, any go. of his qualifications, but that was the green light that I needed. I knew that I had to sort of balance the current needs of the business and the scaling that we needed to do. So I was balancing building tooling to help with the problems of today, which I had a much better idea of what that tooling needed to be versus the platform I needed. I knew that I needed to build for the like longevity of this business. That was sort of the beginning of what became our now is a hundred million dollar fund admin business. That's great. That's great. Did you bring back the original book from Luca, which is from the 1500s, the, the big medieval book with all the drawings? Or did you give I, more, the cliff notes? It was the cliff notes. Um, oh, but yeah. we did a company like Carta did, went through a rebrand a couple of years ago, but I actually showed screenshots from the original book. I, oh, yeah. I actually went all the way back. Now I'm such like such an accounting nerd. I went all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia and I like showed like, you know, pictures of the like original versions of accounting, which is like the, these Mesopotamic like slabs to track ownership. So, yeah. Well, they did say like the, the original, like because written language was more like a ledger. So yeah. that was my part, part of my spiel. I'm like, yeah. uh, why does accounting change the world? Must those slabs, which is yeah. the original form of accounting, led to the written word. And then, you know, in the 1500s with Luca Pacchioli, his double entry account system gave birth to the banking system right. and the Renaissance and it, yeah, and like, and then eventually like capitalism. And I, there's so much that ties back to accounting because accounting is how we perceive yeah. value in the world. You, so. you, could, you, could, you could write a book about how accounting created civilization. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And can help us out of our troubles now, right? Perhaps. Yeah. It can. <laughs> but it is important to, to showcase how knowing the history and understanding the 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 you know what what you're what you're doing, knowing how it works is so important. And otherwise, you kind of go a little bit like you're guessing, and you kind of you know go from you know 
theory to theory, but when you have the history and you have the data points and you have like the users who understand how this works, it makes it so much easier to kind of cultivate the vision of the product. And that's how you, you know, I'm assuming how you got it to get the users, get the acceptance you wanted, getting customers to buy it, driving it to the hundred million because you already, you kind of laid the groundwork, the foundation for all that. That's so right. And I, I see this like in so many other contexts of like building product, if you building product for scale is so much about aperture. Oftentimes when you aren't building or you get the aperture wrong, that's when you have to like re-architect the entire product, right? I'm totally about MVPs and, and iterating on product. It is just helpful to like, even if you're making, if you're like building for the short term to do it in a really intentional way, but understand, go deep on like the thing that you're solving for and understand it's like building blocks. And sometimes you can actually like save yourself pain down the line by building really great primitives. And I think that's what we did in the event-based accounting and general ledger platform that we built at Cardeb. When you joined the project, you know, the, the typical initial decision, right, especially with a project that that's a little bit in trouble, is also to reconsider whether you should even build it, right? And I just kind of want to go back a little bit to that, if I if I may, and ask you, you know, was there even a consideration of do you need to build this, and why was it a right decision to do so for for Carter to to build a product themselves? You know, obviously you were already using a, a, a different GL, so there must yeah. have been something there where you felt like Carter could really truly bring something specific and differentiating, right? Where acquisition or partnering didn't didn't make sense, but building did. This is such a great question. And I think that this is like the primary reason I know now everyone doubted this strategy back in 2019 when I originally proposed it. The The thing that I believed, which luckily I turned out to be right, but the thing that I believed was that if accounting is hard, the reason that it's hard, we were using zero, you can argue there's probably a better general ledger you could use to solve problems in venture fund accounting. But the thing that makes like building accounting software hard is there are so many different like verticals and and use cases to solve mm -hmm. for. And I think we had it, by building our own, we had a couple of advantages. We could build something that was purpose built for fund accounting, for venture and for Carta. And the last one is like super important. We were setting up like a client's instance of a general ledger in zero, we had to like set up their entities or like references to their entities. This is a company that they've invested in. This is like their expense account. These, are, This is how they think about investments. This is the representation of this fund entity and this SPV and this like management company. Knowing also there's there's transactions that happen between these entities. Like that's how these firms and funds work. Being able to build our own technology to solve that we could like be smarter about it. Not only can we solve for like the things that we know about venture fund accounting, but we could at the lowest unit of data connect debits and credits to the first class objects of Carta, the funds, the the people, the users, mm -hmm. like LPs and GPs, investments. Remember that we are also 
a cap table management company. So we have these portfolio companies on Carta already. And so it's, it's really like that connectivity between you can start building really differentiated experiences. If you can connect the portfolio company and the accounting of that portfolio company in a funds ledger to the cap table and the events of that cap table, we talk a lot of now about network based accounting and how a certain event in the global Carta can, can then right downstream to the general ledger and we can we can have the like private markets fund accounting look be a lot closer to like how things work in the public markets and there's like private markets is insanely inefficient but at carta we have this opportunity to build like a 10x solution so that was the dream and the hypothesis you have to believe a lot to believe in that dream but i'm really glad that i was given a shot at proving this right that is amazing. That that is really great, great insight. And again, maybe it speaks to the fact that you know there are general or generic general letters, and then there are things that are purpose built, maybe even full stack vertical integration, right? Just like we hear, you know, walled garden concepts, right, versus a, a platform play. And by actually focusing on a specific vertical within all the different products you you had that would rely on this general ledger, it sounds like. That was the differentiation because you could potentially use the right language, link to the right data that really no other GL would do because they're not specifically built for that purpose. Uh, yeah, that's my takeaway. And, hmm. and totally. And the, and the other thing is by owning the data, not only can we do like really interesting things like for, for a user who logs in, we can know their exact balances, right? It allows us to infinitely slice and dice data the way we want. Mm -hmm. But it means that like we can move the fund accountants from the world of debits and credits into the world of just like doing things in Carta. I, I do a capital call. It automatically writes to the general ledger. I do a distribution yeah. on uh, behalf of the fund. I, it automatically writes uh, to the general ledger. And so it it allowed us to shift the center of gravity for these accountants to something that is actually not about accounting at all. It is just about managing these funds on behalf of our clients. I think it frees up space to do higher value things for our clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's an amazing insight. Absolutely makes sense. Wow. Okay. L let me switch gears one more time if, you, if you'll allow me. And I'll go back to the surge, right? So it, it did feel like, look, you know, from a maybe 10,000 foot level, the product's not getting traction. Let's throw more people at it, right? That was one, one theory. <laughs> and obviously, you walked us through, you know, what happened after those eight weeks, right? But then you switched tactics, right? And, and in fact, you you were supported by your CEO specifically, and it was different, right? You approach it not from let's continue to throw more money and people at it, but you actually did something different. After that eight weeks, right, you, you guys changed tax and, and you started with smaller team that's more focused and and iterated is, isn't that right is that that was kind of a change in tactic totally this is a common fallacy right the other thing is like if if you really believe in something you're going to fund it well but it really depends on on the nature of this project right the nature of the investment and, and especially when something is ambiguous or a bet or something where that requires a, like a spike or there's lots to like uncover and learn there's something so powerful about having a small and empowered team. 
and letting them like literally in a, go into a cave and and just like go at this problem. And I say literally because it was two engineers, and I, I remember I would have Zoom calls with them all the time. And the one of them had this like his office was like in a den in this basement and the other one like flew to just like go live with him for for a while and they would like have zoom calls with me and it was like this dark and like had like blue lights it was so funny but it took us like eight or nine months to actually launch the mvp of the mm-hmm. general ledger to get our first set of funds like five funds we at the beginning it was five funds we moved on to the general ledger in that time we actually built, scrapped, and rebuilt the general ledger four times. Mm. And we had the freedom of doing that. Like no one was checking up on this investment. It was two engineers, two mid-level engineers. It it wasn't like there was this big investment and everybody's like, where is where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Like nobody nobody cared. So we we had the freedom to like really go figure this out. And we had some time to like get it to the point that we felt confident that it could be this like foundation that we could build this business on top of. That's great. It's good to, you're right about having that nimble team because you, you can move quickly. And then like you said, you did, had to rebuild it a couple of times. If you had a team of 30, 40 engineers and a roadmap that was being published and all that, rebuild doesn't look so good <laughs> you know yeah. it's like what do you mean you have to rebuild it again I'm like ah yeah so but if, yeah the fact that you could do this quickly we change rejigger a little bit to get things in the right place you can kind of move quickly and know like oh i made a mistake let's redo it again it's that you know we'll we'll, we'll re- rework it and that way we can you know one and not keep going down a path sometimes what happens is you do make that wrong cho- choice but you're already so invested you're kind of just now like hammering through it. Yeah. You're trying to just yeah, power through it. Yeah. You could pull back and pivot and say, no, 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 just drop all that. Just, just yep. drop that code. Go this way. That's, yeah. that's, that makes it things a lot easier. Totally. Yeah. And, and just like, I hear it too sometimes now as a CPO, cause I'm in the position where I'm making capital allocation decisions. And, you know, sometimes we'll have exec team conversations that are like, but we believe in this thing so much, just like give them everything they need for like give them like 10 engineers. And I'm like, we don't know what we're doing here. Let's put like two engineers and like, especially like really great engineers giving, throwing a bunch of engineers at them, like slows them down. They have to like bring everyone along. Right. Like, but what you want is to capitalize on their brilliance and their ability to like throw things at the wall, see what sticks and learn and iterate. And so sometimes I have to pull the executive and like the right thing to do is actually give them two engineers, but, but the best people we can find and let them give them the space to, to go try to solve this problem. This is the incubator idea, right? That that's how startups can can really blossom because they are working in a very small group, very much aligned on a dream vision, right? And and just executing and can take take the risks and scrap things and start over and, and get it get it right before obviously they're they're funded and can and then staff up and and go where yeah, they need to go. There's a, a little bit of like freedom to fail that is 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 so powerful in mm-hmm. this like yeah innovation process. Yeah. Well, the, the great, absolutely an amazing story. And, and, and maybe this is where I'd, I'd ask you, like, given that experience, like, what would your, your takeaways be? What would you sum it up from, from that experience? And maybe 
you know, somebody is in a, in a similar position where they have an opportunity to take on a project that maybe is foundering, but, you know, they, they could take it and lead it versus maybe choose to do something different. What would you recommend and, and maybe what, what would your takeaways be? A couple of things. So be, being honest about where, where a thing is at, not having the freedom to like say the truth, right, is, is really mm. important. Probably very few people at Carta know this. Henry does. And, and I told him years later, which is at the time when I was asked to like step in and help with this project as a part of this like greater team, I had an offer from Facebook. So I was actually considering leaving Carta. I had, I was working on, as I mentioned, another product that hadn't found product market fit. So, you know, things were like going super well for me at Carta and I had this offer. But looking back, and I don't know how much of this, how much of that influenced like how I approached this, but I, I did have like psychological freedom to come back and say, I have nothing to show you from this like <laughs> surge that you, you, funded but i've learned a lot and let me let me tell you what i've learned and and this is what i think we should do i think that's so powerful i'm so glad that i felt safe to do that so like courage and like the the freedom to be like brutally honest about where a project is 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 so important cuz that can sort of like I, I could see a path where like projects could get dragged on forever and you don't like get to the insight that's going to like unlock. Had it gone another way, we might've thought this was like never going to be a big business at Carta. And now it is like such a big part of our, the future of this business that I'm, I'm so glad that like we, we got that space and we got that freedom to be honest about where this business was. And then the other thing is just, I, I find myself saying this to product leaders all the time because I think, you know, you, we grow up in this world where we say no a lot. We're really iterative. That's we're taught to be iterative, but it is so important to not forget to be bold, take the big swings, right? Think about like the like game changing foundation that will set up the business for the next decade. And of course you can be iterative, but like finding that right balance of like, okay, what is that investment that could, that could really unlock something much bigger for the company yeah, really kick open the door to an opportunity like what you just described, right? And honestly, I, I think the key thing you said after those eight weeks is you you learned accounting deeply. You understood the problem really well, right? And so it allowed you to really deep dive. And after that, you could come back out at the eight weeks. And I, I bet you that could have gone two ways. You could have learned all this stuff and said, Whoa, there's no reason why we should be doing this. Like just abort, let's go somewhere else. But that wasn't the case. You, you've learned. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, Henry, the CEO, basically saw the passion, the actual future, what you saw out of it, how it could benefit the company, right? And that's why he then entrusted you with a with a team and a squad to, to go and build this, right? And take your time to make that happen. So uh, that's the that's what you get out of being able to invest and go in deep and as you say be bold on on an opportunity like that so yeah you, you acted like an entrepreneur right there right i mean yeah. you, you kind of had that bold vision you had something to go with you had the you know as an entrepreneur you have to be very you know to know that subject matter expert back and forth so you did that and you started with a small team investment just to just prove it out and it, and it and it you know it worked so that's that's great and then your fallback you could have went to facebook but he didn't have to so it's all good <laughs> i didn't have to i and you yeah. know much credit to to Henry for giving me that yeah. that chance and 
to your point, like not a lot of PMs get get to have like a nine month side project that could be the whole future bed of the company. But I feel very privileged that I got to do that. And I always tell Henry he ha- he has a soft spot for like P- I've seen seen it happen like now through through my lens for, in other parts of the business. You find that these like people who are super entrepreneurial, they'll like go and learn something deeply, and you can't help but just take a shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's amazing to work with people that have that passion, that drive, ultimately the vision and the dream, right? To yeah. to make it happen. I mean, that's that's who we who we look forward to and look up to when ultimately they succeed. Obviously there's yeah. a lot of folks that don't make it, but the, the success yeah. stories are are inspirational. Thank you. Vishali, wonderful story. Uh, Kyle, I think we've got one other thing we want to ask you about, right? You want to talk a little bit about something that just recently came up in the PM world? Yeah. So two things sort of happened concurrently. So recently, we've had Brian Chesky talking about the role of product and the future of the role of product. And I think he maybe was misquoted, but the, he was at like a Figma conference uh, quoted saying that he is eliminating the role of product management <laughs> at Airbnb. And then he sort of r- retracted and said, Actually, what I mean is we are combining the role of product management with product marketing. My expectations is that product managers are not only building the product, but they know how to get the product in the hands of customers. Concurrently, I've recently adopted the product marketing team. So we've moved product marketing into product. And one of the driving factors is that we we, we like came across this insight that there's these, Henry says, this is a Henry quote, there are the people in the organization who create value and there are the people in the organization who capture value. And as product builders, our job is to create value. If you're in marketing, if you're in sales, your job is to capture that value. If you're in GTM, your job is to capture the value. Mm-hmm. Where does product marketing belong? What we believe is the, the fundamental truth here is that the job of the product marketer is to also create value alongside product managers. So we've recently shifted them to the product org. And so this conversation and this like external thing, he he also did a podcast recently and sort of dove further into this topic has been fascinating and top of mind for me. So that was the one that I thought we could could talk about a little bit. Yeah. so you re- you recently did this move. So what, what, I guess what's been the, how's it worked with your PMs and PMMs all being under one umbrella? So it's still early days and right. I've done my first round of how are things going post-transition. And I think there is this like sense of re- relief. The product marketers want to be measured on value creation, like product adoption. They want their metric to be adoption versus mm. versus something like leads, sales leads or marketing leads. And so we're at an exciting time. We're at a defining time in, in like our org of how do we define these roles. I also believe I've had this like in my performance review a few times. We're great at building products, bad at telling customers we've built the product, especially at Carta, I think for our scale, the just the sheer number of products that we have, it's 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 actually quite challenging to tell customers about all of the things we're doing across all of these different nodes and across all of these different SKUs. 
I find the like rhetoric around this topic particularly interesting because I, I think the only way we can scale our ability to tell the market about what we do is if we leverage like all of the product managers at the company and not just, you know, our small product marketing team who mm-hmm. they're insanely talented, insanely passionate. But already one of the things I've told them is like, help me mold the future of the product management org and help me scale their ability to get products into the hands of customers and features into the hands of customers. So I don't know where this leads to, but I am really excited about what we'll learn and how how the craft and practice of product management will evolve at Carta. It'll be fascinating to see, honestly, because here at Zorro, we also have obviously the the product management team and a product marketing team. They are separate. They are not together. Yeah. The product team's under engineering, right? Product and engineering and product marketing's under marketing. And I think we are still kind of solving that ourselves to some extent. But I agree with you that, you know, from a, a product perspective, sometimes one is so deep into the product that... The assumption is that everybody knows because it's obviously so great because I built it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but being actually to get other people on board and equally excited, that's a skill and a, and a job in itself. So that function is very, very critical. Makes sense. Yeah. And I'm especially curious if if you start from the premise that your job is to get the product into the hands of the customer and work backwards, if you would yeah. build product differently. I, I don't know the answer hmm. here. But I'm yeah, like actually yeah. curious to learn if that shapes the way we build product and approach product at Carta. I think it kind of does because, I mean, look, I mean, as you get more seasoned in, in, in the product management, you, you kind of do sometimes jump to marketing concepts, right? Because you, as you're doing these, yeah. you know, rollouts and roadmaps and, and com- you know, to how do you articulate what you're doing to that, you you are seeing kind of how the impact is for to the customer. And then it also bleeds back to you know, what, I'm, what's the value in building? I think that it becomes yeah. almost, it almost organically becomes a two-way street as you, you know, do more and more of it. So I, I, I do see it being, you know, th- that, that influencing it. Like, I think there are things that, you know, we were, we would think about that as a product person, you sometimes become too siloed on the product itself and you forget a little bit about what's going on with that customer sometimes of, of the overall, but when you kind of start talking about it with, as a marketing lens, you get a little more entrenched into how they see it and the value they get out of what's exciting for them. It does. I think it does influence. I think it does create yeah. influence on how you kind of create the vision for the product. Well, Vrishali, it was a, a real pleasure to have you on and looking forward to, to more insights with you perhaps another time. Maybe you could give us another look at how things go between product marketing and product management being together. Absolutely. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Wonderful to have had you on. Yeah, I think that was a, a great conversation. I always like, I mean, you know, like with Zora, you know, we're, we're accounting software and, and we hear you know, Luca Pacchioli come up. It's always, uh, I remember Teen doing a presentation with him, you know, not with him. He's been dead for 800 years, but I have, have his picture on the on the screen and talking about the, yeah. the, the, the accounting rules and, and all that. But I, it does go back to how it's so important to know the, the material, to, to know, mm-hmm. you know even the history of it, you know, just because... You know, when you understand it to the point where you knew where it came from, you kind of understand what, how users are going to be using it and how it's going to be used by the product. And, and having all that, that knowledge really helped them shape it. And that's how she was able to kind of pivot away from 
hey, this isn't what we should be doing. I'm passionate about this. I have the data point. I have the history behind it. Give me a team. I don't care how big. We can knock it out. So I thought that was pretty cool. I also did like that purpose-built general ledger where she's like, you know, they found that niche and kind of cultivated that and kind of validated it from their customer feedback and really kind of drove out of business from, from, from looking at a, again, a very old, not old practice, but like general ledger has been around for a long time, but be able to kind of, yeah. you know, create that value from a, a verticalization approach. Lucas, yeah. what did you, you get out of it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, lots of really, really great insights. I remember there was a quote here in Silicon Valley and Palo Alto in one of the restaurants that, you know, nothing beats a small laser focused team executing and aligned in, on a singular vision. Right. And and I think that's definitely what, what Rochelle once again pointed out that that can bring amazing results as long as that team is properly fed, supported and sponsored from from above and and obviously has the the proper vision right and and it's all about those fundamentals that you said the other thing that i thought was was really interesting and i think i'm sure helped them a ton was the fact that they had their customers in house right those fund accountants were literally part of the company so that's why Rochelle could actually just sit there and observe you know their the jobs that they were doing and and really then probably very 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 quickly you know iterate and, and and prove out whether what she was building would actually work for for the folks yeah. that that would ultimately be using this right and then of course as you said the foundation right nothing like harvesting the experience from luca from 1500s right and obviously the general ledger has been around for a while so lots of great lessons to learn you don't want to rebuild the general ledger from a conceptual perspective but you know take the learnings and everything there and then apply it particularly into a particular vertical. And I think that's where, where things, uh, where the rubber met the road and, and you really could see things take off from there. The whole product marketing, product management aspect of it is is interesting. I, I think we've been wrestling with that for a while. I remember when Zora started, product managers were product marketers, but they were also many, many, many other things, right? I remember distinctly that the, the early product managers definitely wanted to split the role to get help to do the product marketing stuff. But it's, it's, it's interesting to see how that works out. It depends on, on the alignment. There's definitely... Yeah, how it evolves and how it goes. But yeah. you're right. You kind of start off as a startup. You play both hats a lot. And then as you get bigger, it separates. And then as you work your way up, you start doing both at the same time. So what's old is new. New is old again, I guess. <laughs> it kind of comes yeah, back. Exactly. It's exactly. like you end up being, I'm doing a lot more marketing stuff this week than I did previously. But That's good. right. That's right. But, you know, again, having the experience of... Being able to do both, right, gives you the idea yeah. of what needs to be done. And certainly at a certain point, it's it's great to have help to to be able to tackle oh. more and bigger things and scale things out. Right? So. That's right. Well, that was a fantastical conversation with Rochelle. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and tune in to the next episode of Can I Speak to Your Product Manager? 